Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Yeah, anyway, it could have been worse. Yeah, doing the sound check on Facebook, never have to do the sound check on Instagram because it always works really well. So, yeah, this is a Q&A with uh, yours truly, um, Jonathan Stiano. And if you've got any plastic surgery questions, Jackie's here. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, good to see you, Jackie. Then uh, ask away. I will answer the questions that are preordained, but also... On the sticker, so on the stick on Instagram, someone's asked a question, which is how many days are you an inpatient for after a BA, breast augmentation? Um, so always very uh, happy to get the um, questions on the stickers, um, you know, on the bits that we put beforehand. So everything really in terms of length of inpatient stay has moved down really a notch. So an, a breast augmentation used to be routinely an overnight stay and, and it's, a, it's routinely now a day case. So the uh, specific answer to your question is day case. It's a day case for a breast augmentation in and out the same day. Even though it's a general anesthetic, um, you, you, you're fine to go home the same day. And in general terms, uh, for instance, tummy tucks used to be three days. Now they're one day. Um, uh, breast reduction, smaller breast. Well, this is all me. Everyone's bit, everyone's different. I think you know this is just my in my practice. But I think the general tendency for most people is to be going to shorter lengths of stay. So um, uh, breast reductions, a smaller breast reduction would be uh, a day case again. Bigger breast reductions would be an overnight stay. And usually things that need an overnight stay are ones that need drains. So I might use drain for a bigger breast reduction and a tummy tuck, capsulectomy. Those are slightly bigger operations, so those those might need drains, but still only one night in hospital. Um, and a lot of other things, gynecomastia, um, mastopexy, breast lifts, uh, as I say, breast augmentation, breast lift with implants. All these things can be done as day cases in and out the same day. Uh, and I think it's all moving that way. I think America did it a while ago. They were much more into their um, office procedures and, and day cases and less hospital stays. And we were... Um, not not quite so, um, didn't embrace it quite so much, but now I think we are embracing it more, uh, the, the, the shorter hospital stays. So uh, thanks for that question. Can, uh, next question. Next question, please. Can we remove a pilonidal sinus, uh, sorry, pilonidal cyst? Uh, so a pilonidal cyst and a pilonidal sinus are kind of similar sort of things. So a pilonidal cyst um, is, I mean, I normally say we can remove cysts from any part of the body, but um, then uh, people always ask certain parts of the body and always think, actually, no, not that one. And this is another one. It's not a question of can we remove it. It's that we wouldn't be probably the right people to remove it. So a pilonidal uh, cyst or a pilonidal sinus is something that happens at the top of your natal cleft. So over your coccyx, over your tailbone, the uh, cleft of your buttocks, just the top of the cleft of your buttocks. And uh, it's usually caused by a little ingrowing hair and it's often from hairs from your back that fall down into that cleft and work their way in to form a little cyst, a little lump. Um, and it used to be called Jeep driver's bum because it was very common in the army and people who drove the Jeeps. Uh, it's Nowadays, it would be, I guess, truck, truck driver's 
um, would get them. Uh, you can also hairdressers sometimes get them in their hands between in their web spaces for the similar reason. Little hairs grow into the um, into the skin and form a little cyst, um, and uh, they're they're actually quite difficult to, to treat, and uh, they often get infected, particularly the ones on the on the on the buttocks in, in between the natal cleft. They can get infected, uh, and they can require usually the treatment involves opening them up kind of laying them open we would say and packing them and then changing that pack every day as the pack gets less and less and that would normally be a general surgeon would be involved in that rather than a plastic surgeon um, so as a general rule we wouldn't get involved in removal of pilonidal cysts or pilonidal sinuses that would be um, a general surgeon who would do that um, do we offer vein removal no, I think that would be a vascular surgeon. So presumably that's kind of like little veins often on the legs um, and they can be um, removed with laser or little micro injections and a vascular surgeon do that. I think cosmetic doctors might be doing it. Uh, and th th there might be some, actually there might be plastic surgeons that do it. I, uh, in myself and, and the other guys in the clinic, we, we don't do it. So at the, at the, the Styano clinic, we don't do vein removal. Uh, and I would probably point you in the direction of a um, of a vascular surgeon for, for that. Um, what is the big deal about going to Turkey for surgery? I've been four times in the past two years and everything's been fine. Um, yeah, this was an email I got from someone the other day and uh, I thought I'd, I'd talk about it on here um, because there is quite a big deal at the moment um, in terms of going abroad for so surgery. And for whatever reason, Turkey seems to be mentioned quite a lot. And um, I think the important thing to realise is that, that it doesn't mean that everyone is bad in Turkey and everyone is good in the UK, for instance. It doesn't mean you're going to be fine in the UK and you're doomed if you go to Turkey. Uh, but what? So there are very good, very well respected very well-trained surgeons in Turkey. It's not like, you know, this or, or anywhere abroad. There are, you know, obvious, obvi I mean, I say obvious, is it obvious? There are very well-trained surgeons uh, everywhere in the world. And there are also badly trained surgeons everywhere in the world, unfortunately. But, um, but it's not like specifically a certain place has got bad surgeons. And what I have seen in my own practice and what seems to be coming through with the BARPs, the BARPs are campaigning quite a lot about this at the moment is the aftercare seems to be a problem. Um, it's a combination of the aftercare problem and there, seem, there, there does seem to be some quite um, questionable uh, surgery, some quite bad complications coming back, some bad um, results, some bad things happening to people that would not be in any way acceptable um, in this country. And if a surgeon was getting results and, and, and doing things that we're seeing, there they would be significant repercussions. And I think the difficulty is having that uh, accountability, having that feedback with the surgeon, with the clinic. And I think that's really the important thing if you are considering going abroad. I mean, I think we accept that people will go abroad for surgery. I don't think we're saying don't go abroad for surgery because people will because there's a significant difference in the price. But you've got to ask yourself, why is there a significant difference in the price? You've got to make sure that there are processes in place to look after you once you've had your surgery, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns. I can't tell you how many people 
reach out to me and asking for help when they've recently had surgery. And, uh, you know, I always say to them, look, the price of surgery includes all the aftercare. That's where it's structured. There's one price which includes the surgery and all of the aftercare. It is not one price for the surgery and one price for the aftercare. So that might be why it was a lot cheaper, because maybe they didn't have a great aftercare. And, you know, it's not very helpful to say that to people who are having struggling now, but you can say that to people who are in the research phase, say, look, have a look at the aftercare, have a look what sort of processes are in place. You know, I hear all the time that oh, it was a WhatsApp number and they blocked me on the WhatsApp because I'm complaining. And then that's it. They've got no way of contacting them, which is, you know, fairly shocking. Have I got some kind of hue on? Um, which is fairly shocking and um, would not be tolerated in this country. And uh, so that's just something to be aware of. I'm not saying everybody does it. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm, there, are, there are clearly a lot of people who go abroad, who've been abroad, who've had great results and uh, are very happy with everything. It just seems to be a disproportionate amount of people who are having problems, having concerns, not getting their concerns listened to and not being looked after. And the problem is they're really struggling to get help in this country. Um, and in fact, the person who wrote this email said, my GP is very supportive. And I'm like, really, you shouldn't really be involving your GP significantly. You know, we always write to GP, let you know, GP know you're having procedure done but any follow-up any aftercare is, is done by us you know and to say go to your gp if you've got any problems is not really fair on the gp there's a lot of pressure being put on the nhs by having to do remedial surgery and then they will only deal with the complications they will remove the implant if it's infected they will deal with the acute infection but they won't deal with the sequelae after that the cosmetic implications or the scarring or the other things that might be of issue to you and uh, one that's kind of in a way putting putting a burden on the nhs and uh, two it may not be ideal for you because you might want to have the cosmetic side of things addressed because presumably you've had uh, cosmetic surgery for a cosmetic reason and if it doesn't look right then you're understandably going to be unhappy but it's as i say it's very hard to um just take someone on to just do the aftercare the the price you pay includes the whole package. So when you've pay, paid that to a surgeon, whether it be in the UK, in Turkey, or Prague, or Brazil, or it doesn't, you know, anywhere in the world, whenever you paid for your surgery, that surgeon, that clinic, then has a responsibility to look after you and to, to make sure it's all heals well and, and, and you're um, happy with your results. That is part of the price you've paid. So if you're not happy and then at one week or three weeks you go to another surgeon and say, look, can you help me? You may struggle to find the surgeon to help you because we are, you know, we're not set up to just have an aftercare package. And so that uh, and it is, it is difficult when talking to people like that because you kind of feel unhelpful. But at the same time, it's like that is the that is what you've got to be doing in your research page, looking for someone who's going to look after you, looking for someone who's going to listen to you and look after you. And I'm not saying everybody abroad doesn't do that and everybody in this country does do that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if you're going to have surgery, that those are the sorts of things you need to be looking out for. What sort of comeback have you got if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have a little niggle? Because let's face it, you it's you know, there's there's a lot of niggles concerns um, maybe not massive complications but if it's a concern swelling lump bump asymmetry can take ages for these things to settle and you need to be nurtured and looked after after that period so um and and 
it, it does seem to be a problem at the moment. So um, we're all trying to wait, raise awareness of this to empower the patients. Everyone says, oh, there should be legislation, etc." Yes, okay, there should be legislation, but that's going to be sometime in the, in, in, in the running and, and whether or not it ever comes about. And in the meantime, I think the onus is on us as reputable plastic surgeons to talk to people to let them know what sort of service we offer and what sort of aftercare we offer. So then they can compare it with other places and make an informed decision as to where to go for, rather than just saying that place is 10,000 pounds, that place is 2,000 pounds, well, I'll go with the 2,000 pound one. So rather than just saying we're 10,000 pounds, we've got to say we're 10,000 pounds, and that includes all of the aftercare. This is how we do it. This is when you see the nurse. This is the sort of communications we have. This is the sort of aftercare policy. This is what we'll do if you're unhappy with the result. Um, and this is what's covered, um, you know, and, and, you know, these are the sorts of conversations we need to have with people so that then when they go to the other place, they can say, what is the, you know, what, what, how am I followed up? What's the aftercare? You know, will I be speaking and seeing the surgeon again? Um, these sorts of things. And the, the problem is, but not the problem is, I mean, the fact is a lot of cosmetic surgery is, um, it's got a low complication rate. So there, there is always going to be a lot of people who are absolutely fine. Um, but the problem comes when there is a, if there is a complication or there is an issue, they can be significant. They can be really significant. I mean, it's, uh, it is not minor surgery. Just because cosmetic surgery does not make it minor surgery. It is still significant surgery, and there are potential for significant complications that might need intervention, might need help. And uh, it's, you know, there's an awful lot of people who are lost, who are not getting the support they need and having to rely on surgeons in the NHS and having to rely on GP and things like that who are not equipped for this sort of stuff uh, and who are probably, you know, only helping in the sort of basic way rather than um, really trying to embrace and, and um, focus on the whole, the whole issue. So just be aware of asking questions about your aftercare, about uh, contact with the surgeons and, uh, you know, how how you're going to be dealt with wherever you're having the surgery, whether that be the UK or whether that be abroad. That's the um, that's the message, really. And it's not trying to say everything abroad is bad. Um, just 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 be aware and ask the questions. Be informed so you can make an informed decision as to where you have it done. <clears throat> Do we offer surgical lip lift procedure? No don't really do facial aesthetics so um no don't really do, do that um no so uh yeah i've seen um you know a while ago so my friend mark pacifico purity bridge I've seen some photos of him uh well, i don't know if it's him but someone in this clinic doing it and things like that but uh yeah seem, seems to be a thing doesn't it take a bit of skin out from the top lip can't really show because i've got a beard lift the lip so like that Lift, 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 lift procedure. Does that do I look better there? Not sure if that does look better, to be honest. Not sure if I'm advertising the lip lift procedure, but I don't do it, so uh, don't listen to me. But no, we don't do it. Sorry. Can you recommend any alternative forms of treatment instead of gynecomastia surgery? Um, <clears throat> well, I can tell you about alternative forms of treatment, but I whether I can recommend them or not. So um, the mainstay of treatment for gynecomastia is surgery. Um, the other treatments are things like hormonal treatments like tamoxifen, um, which are said to um, shrink down the gland. The, um, there are some causes of gynecomastia. Uh, it's usually due to hormone imbalance. And there are certain times of life like puberty and senility 
so you know during puberty and when you're older that the hormone imbalance uh, is such that the, the estrogen t- 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 testosterone is more in favor of the estrogen and so there is an increase in the breast tissue growth so gynecomastia can be an issue so certainly with a puberty group you need to wait until puberty is finished because that might improve it so i guess that's, in a, that's a form of treatment just by waiting um and again um tamoxifen it is a way of treating it i don't know of um I don't do that. I don't prescribe that. I think some breast surgeons might prescribe it. I'm not sure if GPs will prescribe it, but um, I'm not sure about hormone treatments, how effective they are. Uh, but that is definitely an alternative form of treatment that you could consider. And I saw someone yeah, uh, yesterday or the day before who'd had it, who'd had um, hormonal treatment. But um, as I say, the main the main cause of gynecomastia is what's called idiop- idiopathic, which means we don't know it know what the cause is uh, there can be hormone producing tumors and uh, uh, certain drugs that can cause it so removing the cause if there is one but the vast majority have no cause and um the mainstay treatment is is surgery so i'm not sure of any really good uh, alternative forms of treatment um but as i say i don't really do them and i don't really i've never really seen anyone who's had a good effect from them uh, but that may might be because I'm seeing a self-selected group of people um, and there might be lots of people out there who've had hormone treatments who have benefited from it. So really, I guess, talk to someone who does it. But uh, in my practice, the mainstay of treatment of gynecomastia is surgery. How long after having mummy makeover, brackets, tummy tuck and breast lift, can I return to weightlifting? Look at that, weightlifting, flipping heck. Okay. Uh, well, I'm guessing that the, the main one out of those two is going to be the your tummy tuck. Um, uh, when you're having a tummy tuck and a breast lift or kind of like a breast procedure, usually the tummy tuck is the overriding one in terms of the um, recovery. So um, first two weeks, don't do anything. Well, you can walk around, move because you don't want to get a um, DVT and things, but moving and walking around, but nothing in terms of lifting or what have you. Um, after two weeks, lower body stuff. Um, I normally say in terms of upper body, like putting power through the upper body a month is my normal um, my normal re- recommendation, a month for putting power through the upper body. So I guess weightlifting would uh, qualify as putting power through the upper body, but it sounds quite hardcore when you say it like that. How, when can I return to weightlifting? So I'd probably, res- probably revise my month thing to say kind of like probably six weeks and then just gently get into it. You're going to be engaging your core with weightlifting. So I'm going to say little weights. Don't want to be, um, you know, um, uh, what's the word? I don't want to make out as if you're not, you're not able to carry big weights. But, you know, I would say start with little, those little dumbbells, little hand ones, um, maybe after, after four to six weeks. Um, but I wouldn't do anything with a big bar and engaging your core probably for a couple of months. And then I would just do a small one and then see how you feel because we have to bring the muscles together often, not always, but often. Usually I would say we bring the rectus muscles together um, with stitches. So you don't really want to be putting an awful lot of tension on that, which I would imagine when you're doing weightlifting, you're going to put a lot of tension on that. So um, you want to give it a good couple of months before you start to do it. And that's the important word, start. You know, double underlined and highlighted the word start. So start to do it after a couple of months uh, and see how you feel. If it hurts, if you feel it pull, oh, my God, if it swells, back off and then maybe leave it another few weeks. 
if you try and do stuff too soon if you particularly if you're doing too much too soon big heavy weights and stuff then you run the risk of it well best case best worst case is swelling like well, i suppose best case is nothing but you know if, if something bad is going to happen swelling is the kind of the main thing but i guess worst case you know you could put tension on those stitches you could potentially pull the stitches because you pain could cause bleeding obviously putting tension on the wound as well because the wound's under a lot of tension when you do a tummy tuck and you'll find that you're kind of bent over double for a good couple of weeks um afterwards so yes i would say um good couple of months before you start putting doing upper body exercises then start gentle with just uh, little dumbbells i would say and just see how you go um and probably a couple of months before you start with the bar uh and even then maybe just start because i've um i've seen this you can do the bar on its own can't you because the bar itself has got weight so just start with the bar on its own before you put any weights on see how you feel there's often a bit of a delayed reaction so see how you feel uh give it a um you know a, a, do a little bit with the bar on its own and see how you feel that evening because sometimes it, you can think oh that feels all right i'm going to put some weights on do a bit of this oh, i'm feeling good get home and you think oh my god what have i done it's all swollen so there's often a bit of a delayed reaction so uh, just uh, be aware of that be mindful of that did i was that a bit of a gavel anyway i'm um i'm out of my um questions i'm all out of questions now so um that is that in terms of the questions that i've got if you've got any questions you can answer them ask them uh, get them in and i will answer them uh but if you don't want to just get them in on a one-to-one -one basis just call me email me instagram me facebook me youtube me just uh, get in touch and um i will do my level best to answer them next week and uh we will stick them on the list and i will um tackle them head on only way to do it so um if if that's it i will we i'll bid you good night and i will suggest you go and put your feet up i'm tired i tell you it's big week this week all the proms and everything this week starting as well tomorrow proms and graduations and stuff for the children so uh if that's you as well then you know good luck with that might see you there um oh look, here we go Kimberly Owen, I'm pleased with my breast augmentation. Look at that. That's the sort of that's the sort of recommendation we want. That's jolly good of you to say so, Kimberly. I think I'll see you soon. I have reason to believe. Uh, very kind. I'm pleased. Um, I'm very pleased that you're pleased. And I know. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, good, excellent, Kimberly. And I look forward to seeing you soon. It's been a while since I've seen you. Um, so I will. Um, on that note. On that positive note, thank you, Kimberly. I'll um, go and um, do a bit of, you know, sitting on the sofa. Good night, JJ. Thanks for the chat. Always informative. Good night, Corinne. Well, not good night yet. It's only half seven. You know, not that bad. Give it a couple of hours. Would def recommend you Friday? I'm coming for an appointment. Awesome. Thanks, Jackie. Have a good evening yourself. Looking forward to seeing you on Friday, Kimberly. And uh, yeah, have a good evening. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've got, to, I've got to do a bit of a slicker way of signing off for these things. Anyway, looking forward to seeing you on Friday, Kimberly. So um, I'll see you then. Start the stream. And uh... have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag. Ask JJ. We'd love to hear from you.